Why be involved if you can't have a position where you can make a difference? Hi, it's Holly Ransom here. Welcome one and all to Coffee Pods, Fuel Your Difference, a podcast for the change makers and the game changers. This podcast is built around a simple hypothesis. How long does it take to learn from someone's lifetime of experience? Coffee. So in the time it takes us to share a cup of coffee with our guests or for you to enjoy one as you listen along, we're going to tap into the lifetime of experience of some truly remarkable people who've driven significant change. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. And be it putting an audacious idea into action, shifting a team culture or even a country's for that matter, or using their influence to drive progress, all our guests have powerful insights, pragmatic tips and passionate calls to action that can help each of us to fuel the positive difference we're all working to create in our lives, organisations and communities. Coffee Potters, welcome to a special instalment of a four-part podcast series partnering with IWF, the International Women's Forum. IWF is an invitation-only membership organisation comprised of more than 6,800 diverse and accomplished women from 33 nations on six continents. It's dedicated to building better leadership locally and globally. And our partnership with them is all about continuing our commitment to giving you access to extraordinary stories, phenomenal insight, and brilliant advice that can help you to be the change that you want to see in your own life, community, or organisation. And Coffee Potters, we're kicking off at the top, top of the organisation, I mean, with the international president of IWF, Teresa Weintraub. Teresa is quite a phenomenal story. Born in Havana, she immigrated with her family to the US at an early age and has led a really interesting career that we'll unpack. Uh, Everything from a tax attorney, university fundraiser, right the way through to an extensive career in wealth management and most recently joining Merrill Lynch as their managing director. She's been widely acknowledged for her philanthropy and her commitment to empowering the next generation of women. And in this conversation, we're going to explore how to give in a way that has the greatest amount of impact, leading uh, effective organisations, getting through tough and challenging moments, and the importance of being focused and staying open. I hope you really enjoy this conversation. Proudly brought to you in partnership with IWF. Teresa, it is such a pleasure to have you on Coffee Pods. Thank you so much for making the time. One of the things I wanted to ask you to begin with, I mean, something that struck me since we first met and I've had the opportunity to to read so many people say this about you over the course of your career, you just seem to have this really beautifully deep-seated confidence in yourself. And I'm interested to know uh, your childhood in Havana, the early early stages of your life when you immigrated as a family to the United States. So I um, is, I am the youngest of four with three older brothers. I came from a very, very traditional Hispanic family. My father felt very strongly that I should be educated just like my brothers, until <laughs> until he wanted my brothers to go away to school, and then I came and he said, no, you should go to school in Miami. And I said, no. And then um, after some discussions, we had, he said, all right, you can go to the Sacred Heart Nuns, which I had been, um, and I went to Newton College, which is now part of Austin College, because it was the nuns. And I saw where he was coming from, that he was concerned about being sent. So, and then when I was thinking about law school, 
I was engaged and my father said, I think you should just get married and whatever. And my fiance died. And I remember two days after my father sitting me down and saying, you know, I made a big mistake. You need to be prepared. You need to stand on your own. And you need to be able to not depend on your husband, on your brothers, on anyone. Tell me, the civic participation that runs through your veins so strongly, um, what role did those early years play in that? When we came to the United States, I went to an all-girls school that volunteerism was part of the curriculum. It was not something that you did to beef up a resume. It was not something that you did once. It was something you did weekly. And I remember the first time I went to this school in um, the inner city, these kids just were not given the tools to succeed. At that very early age, I knew something was wrong. So I was speaking up, and fortunately, the Sacred Heart nuns backed us up. While it was a Catholic uh, religious school, these nuns were intellectuals, they were activists. They were the female Jesuits who didn't have to abide by the rules of an archdiocese. So it was truly private. And so the intellect, but also the activism. And they helped you. They, They helped you get it done. And so we not only volunteered, but we took an active role. So I think from the very beginning, I looked at the fact that there were some injustices and that they needed to be corrected. And if we didn't speak up, who would? I love that. I've been fascinated reading about your career. You've had such a diversity of roles, uh, everything from wealth management, university fundraising, a tax attorney. I'm really interested to understand how you made the decisions around uh, what roles you wanted to be doing. I loved reading about you when you said begrudgingly <laughs> went to law school because that was me also. <laughs> Also with me. And so I went to law school because it was expected that I went to law school. And I went to work in New York City as a tax attorney. And I hated it because it was legal research and writing. And interestingly, every time I'd think about leaving, I'd get a promotion. (laughs) And so, or a salary increase or something. And then I was uh, volunteering on a board with a woman who always looked happy. And I remember having lunch with her one day and said, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm a... I'm a development officer. And I said, what's that? said, it was a fundraiser. And I said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. When you get to work at nine and you leave it, you know, what do you do? And long story short, the University of Miami hired me. And um, I went up through the ranks. And then I crafted a gift for a bank. And it was a very complicated gift. And so they kept pursuing me to go. And so that, I think that what it is, is just being open to opportunities. I think I've been very lucky in life. I've never been one. Someone told me many years ago, do not look at 
10-year plans or five-year plans. Just look at one-year plans and be present and be open to the possibilities. And I thought for a long time that I had very different careers. But when I took the CEO position in my last job, a newspaper featured me. And it was the first time that I realized that the skills that I had learned as a tax attorney, as a development officer, were able to bring me to what I was doing and my volunteerism to bring me to be the CEO of a institution. That was actually one of the things I was quite eager to touch on. What did you learn through your various roles that have informed the way you think about leadership? Well, through legal research and writing, especially legal research, it's like putting puzzles together. And you have to look at all the different aspects. And, and same thing with law school. You know, if law school wasn't three years, it's a wonderful way to reshape your way of thinking. So you have to take the pieces from different scenarios and put them together. That's one. At the university, as a fundraiser, I had to learn the people skills. I had to learn that different people bring different things to the table. I remember that as I rose through the ranks, the president of the university said to me once, do you know you've kind of created a mini United Nations in your staff? And I went back and I said, you know what, you're right, because I hired people that could work well with different segments of the population. And so it was a way of trying to look at things in a very different way, and not only to look at it today, but in a puzzle where this piece will fit in the greater goal. But then in the people skills, it's how do you bring people along to part with major money, to want to create a program that they may not have known anything about. So it's that leadership of bringing people along. And then from a very young age, I had taken on leadership roles in my volunteerism. I want to pick up on some of your experience and thoughts around philanthropy. One of the comments that struck me while I was reading about you in preparation for this interview was a comment that you made around how it's important that your philanthropy is not too scattered. I'm interested for your opinion on how you can have the greatest impact with your philanthropic giving. What I have tried to to tell people is really be focused. And if you give $50,000 a year, maybe focus that. And maybe take an interest every few years in something as opposed to just getting a gala dress on and going. And that's important. And some of these people work very, very hard mm-hmm. in putting these events on. But is it really creating value? Is it really making a difference in the lives. I also think that people who get involved in charity should really get involved in those charities that they're passionate about. Because in the end of the day, it's going to cost you 
treasure, it's going to cost you time. It's not going to give you business. And I tell people, don't do it because you think it's going to bring you business because then you're going to be disappointed. Do it because you're passionate about it so that you are willing to spend the time in it. What happens is I don't think that you really can be focused on 10 charities at the same time or six charities at the same time. Every organization that I have been involved in, we have asked the board to write and sign that this is one of their three priorities. And the reason for that is it makes you think that you know, you're devoting time to this. You, you, you care about this group. That can change because it could be at first about education. It could be in five years about you know civil rights or it could be about anything. So it doesn't mean that you have to stick with it forever, but focus. I just think a lot of people put in a lot of time without it making a difference. Picking up on that piece around both passion and focus, I'm interested as to where your passion for women in leadership comes from. You're the international president of IWF and are heavily involved and have been for some time in women's empowerment. Where did that focus and passion start? So I think what maybe the fact that I had gone to an all-girls school and then I went into a men's world and realized that there weren't, at that time, fortunately that has changed a bit, women were very hard on women. Women were, felt that there wasn't room for more than one as you went up the ladder, as opposed to now saying, we want the numbers. <laughs> um, but at that time, women were competing against each other. So there was really no sisterhood network. Um, there was no focus. Remember, this is before Title IX. This is before there was girl sports. This is before there was any of that. And so I felt strongly that we needed to do something about starting with the little girls saying, you can be anything you want. Because I had had that in my house, but realized that that's not what it was everywhere else. So that passion came from a very young age. Can I ask why IWF? What appealed to you about this organization that made you put your hand up, not just for membership originally, but to be international president? <laughs> you know, um, again, it's just if you look at most of the boards that I've been on, over time I either quit or I become the president. <laughs> It just, it just, uh, I have a, a friend uh, who's a professor at Harvard Business School, and she says, I've never met somebody who's always risen to the highest levels of an organization. Why be involved if you can't have a position where you can make a difference? 
and just being is you're a bystander. I became involved in IWF in 1998 when I took the CEO position at this uh, trust company. And I loved it because I made a lot of very good friends. We sponsored two conferences in Miami. We did things for the community. And then I was asked to be on the board. And then I was asked to be treasurer. I thought, well, why not? I want to bring the leadership back into IWF. And I wanted the people in the forums to be part of the global. We always like to say that unless you go to a conference, you don't understand the power of being a member of this organization, the network, the interesting women that you meet, the speakers, the fact that you can go to any country and call someone and the next thing you know you're having a meal with them and getting to know them on a personal basis, not on a business. I also like to say that it is a safe environment where you can let your hair down and you know that no one's going to say, oh, what's the CEO doing dancing? Or And we try very hard not to make it a chamber of commerce like where you're expected to sell business and do business with the people. We want it to be safe. So I think it was just a natural progression. And I also saw that there were some things that I could help them grow as to be able to be better communicators, do better leadership programs. So that's why I'm here, I think. As someone who's been incredibly involved in philanthropy for a really long period of time, how have you seen giving transform during your time involved? Times have changed. We have much more of an entrepreneurial spirit among the young people. Also, we have tremendous wealth that has been created by entrepreneurs, by individuals who are not used to the blue chip company going up the ladder. And these individuals are used to being a lot more hands-on than others. And these individuals want to make sure that they know in detail where their money is going to. So I think it has been fantastic because it has forced a lot of the NGOs to be more businesslike. And I'm saying businesslike because at the end of the day, it's still charity and there's still a social component to it that can't be run as a bottom line company. But if the two come together, then the NGO is gonna run much better and the, they're gonna get more philanthropy because the individuals will know where the money comes from. What advice have you got for people who are thinking about how to maximize their impact and contribution through giving philanthropy and volunteerism? My advice to the young 
individuals is what I was saying is pick a cause that you're passionate about, that you are passionate about, not that you've got your boss or somebody else who's involved in it. Get involved in that and see how you can support it, whether it's financially, whether it is volunteerism, and are they being creative in how they're delivering services, or are they just doing the status quo? So do your homework. Do your homework, get to know the institution, because I think what's gonna happen is those institutions that are being run more business-like will survive than those that are more the charity. I say they, you need both. You need the social worker, the type of the brain that is very caring, but you also need the one that can look at the bottom line and can also see where it's going. And will they listen to you? You know, I'm sure you remember in law school there were those idiots who kept raising their hands all the time, but then there were some that only raised it a few times. So you don't want to be raising it all the time, but you want to be able to say it and to be heard. So that would be my, my advice on the philanthropy is eyes wide open, but also be able to to have an impact. I think that the days of just being on a board, if it's a board that is a yes board, if it's a board that you just go and hear, move on. You've touched on a couple of challenging moments in your career and life already in this conversation, but I know you're someone that's renowned for never shying away from a challenge. I'm interested to know what advice or tips that you have about how to handle the tough moments. <laughs> we were, my husband and I were in uh, Italy one day and we were in at a private car to go, uh, I don't remember where it was, but um, in the Amalfi Coast somewhere. And this guy was playing Mambo Italiano, the driver. And he said, you know, in life, there are no problems. And he said, you know why? He said, because most problems have a solution. So it's not a problem. There are some problems that don't have a solution. So why make it a problem? Because that's it. It's the reality. And I'll never forget this as Mambo Italiano is playing in this guy. And he is so right. And if you approach a situation as, let's see how we can solve it, as opposed to poor me, poor this, poor whatever. You know, I say to my children, grieve for 10 minutes, but get over it because there's nothing you can do about it. You've got to see what's wrong, identify it, but then you have to fix it. All of us have had challenges. All of us have wished that things in our lives had worked differently. And it's how you deal with it. And I'm very, very resilient. And sometimes I say, 
I just want to stay in bed, but I keep getting up. On the way in, you told me that you set yourself a new challenge for your most recent birthday. You intended last week to go hang gliding in New Zealand and would have were it not for poor weather. I'm interested in your approach to, I guess, continually setting yourself challenges, goals. How have you approached that aspect of your career? I get bored. And so I don't want to be sitting around and doing nothing. I think that that, I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm very active. Where do I find these goals? I think sometimes they find me. I say to people that I mentor, be a sponge. Be open to things. Don't rule out anything. Be able to just experience and be in the now. So a lot of these things, the hang glide, how? I was talking to somebody, and I thought, hmm, this would be fun. Did I come to New Zealand thinking I was going to do it? No. Would I have done it if the weather was right? Yes. So it's not like I had this goal in my mind to do it. I'm not a real goal person. And I think maybe that has been a gift. But if you look maybe two or three steps in front of you and very small goals, short-term goals, I should say, short-term goals, it's much better. Which I think really links back to your earlier point around being open but also being focused. Teresa, I'm so grateful to you for the time you've given us. There are two final questions I'd like to ask. The first is really around uh, building on your passion for mentoring young professionals. What would you say is your best bit of career advice? As I said at the beginning, it's be a sponge, volunteer to take on certain roles, volunteer to do certain tasks that others are not willing to do. As a CEO, I looked very carefully at what I called pride of ownership, someone who had a can-do attitude who no job was too small. If somebody said to me, I'm a vice president, you know, let me get somebody else to do it. That was the kiss of death for me. Because if I could wash a dish in the kitchen, anybody could. And so I looked at those individuals who would be willing to help out, even if it wasn't in their area, even if it wasn't expected, they became somebody you could count on. And so you want to be that person that the bosses can count on. Do not say, well, I have this job now and I'm going to do this up this line next and the other. Because there may be six acts to get to the top. And maybe sometimes you just are focused on one opportunity, but there's this amazing opportunity that is there that to you it may seem like a step down or a step aside, but you really don't know because you have no idea what's going on in the corporate room. And also, that's another thing, is try not to get involved in the politics of the company. That is awful. 
because you just think that Susie is going to be the next CEO or David's going to be the next COO or whatever. And you have no idea what the seniors really think of that person. Rumor may have it that he is so beloved, but you don't know. So be nice to everybody. Don't hang your hat or your star with an individual. Hang it with many. Because that also is, wow, I can call on Robin. I can call on this person because they're there to help me out. I really love that line around hanging your star with many. I'm definitely going to take that away. Final question. If you could leave our listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Be open and be present. And it's not as easy as that two words sound. Be present. It's very hard if you have a screaming kid at home or a sick kid or a sick mother or, or you just broke up with your boyfriend, girlfriend, to leave it behind. But try your hardest. And I think that's something I've been able to do is when I've had some real challenges, is try to leave it at the door. And be open to new challenges. If something is presented to you, it is presented to you because the person thinks that you've got the skills to do it. You may not have had the training. I believe much stronger in skills because you can take those skills from place to place and then the fact that you were educated in this or or, uh, had always worked in in this field so be open to the challenges I'm not going to say put your hands up all the time but you have to make people aware that you would be willing to take that next step and that you are open to taking that next step, that you're somebody that they can count on to be there and to help them through and to have an input. If you can't give your input respectfully and positive way, don't be the negative person on the team. Teresa, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing so generously with our Coffee Pods audience. We sincerely appreciate it and we wish you all the very best with not only the, the new business you launched a few years ago, but well and truly with the IWF International Presidency. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organisation or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback Shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.